I'm George Garner from South Bend, Indiana, and I just donated so Jesse can eat and pay rent. If you'd like to keep Jesse fed, housed, and clothed, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the Sound of Welcome to the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. This episode of our podcast is a bit of an unusual one. A month or so ago, I was invited to present a panel at the Integrated Media Association Conference in Atlanta. It's sort of a nerd convention for public radio and TV people. I invited my friend Merlin Mann to join me. He's a public media nut when he isn't writing for his site, 43folders.com. And three people from Atlanta who I thought could help folks think about making media for and on the Internet. Uh, first, Jeff Olson, who runs AdultSwim.com, and then the Brothers Chaps, who created the great web series Homestar Runner. None of these folks was traditionally public media e. In fact, some of them were kind of the opposite of public media e. But I thought they were all full of insight into how to create something that people care about enough to use on the Internet. This isn't typical Sound of Young America stuff, but since so many folks like you who listen to the Sound of Young America do creative work, or at least aspire to do creative work, I thought I'd share it because there's a lot to learn from these awesome, awesome people. So without further ado, let's go to my conversation at the Integrated Media Association Conference with Jeff Olson, Merlin Mann, and the Brothers Chaps. Thanks for coming to this session. My name is Keith Hopper from Public Interactive, but it's really obviously about these guys. So I'll do a quick intro. The, uh, the cliche, of course, is to say uh, that, uh, that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm privileged to introduce Jesse, but in this case, it's definitely true. So let me go through the, uh, the official description first. Jesse Thorne hosts and produces his public radio show, The Sound of Young America. From his apartment in Los Angeles, TSOYA is an irreverent and in-depth interview program distributed by PRI. He also co-hosts and produces the podcast, Jordan Jesse Go and produces the podcast Coil and Sharp, The Imposters, and the Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast. Jesse's show is awesome, and I think that, uh, that all of his shows are awesome, and I think there's just as good a chance you're going to see the future of public media in this room than you will in the ballroom. So I'm definitely looking forward to this session, and, uh, and let's welcome Jesse. Thank you, guys. Check. Thank you guys so much uh, for being here. It's it's so cool to have this amazing panel. When we put this thing together here in Atlanta, um, Keith and I were talking about who we would like to have on a panel in Atlanta without even discussing the possible subject for the panel, just who we thought were the sweetest people that we could get to be on our panel. And basically the people who are here before you um, I- including a couple of Atlanteans, which is either a person in, who lives in Atlanta or a person who lives in the undersea city of Atlantis. I'm not sure. And um, and one guy who even uh, flew himself here because he loves public media so much um, are just an absolute murderer's row of, uh, of content creators and um, also innovators uh, in terms of thinking about the future of media. 
Um, so I will go from uh, stage right to stage left. All the way down there on the end are M- Mike and Matt Chapman. Uh, they go by the professional name, the Brothers Chaps. Um, their website, Homestar Runner, is a really amazing uh, collection of uh, – what format did you start in? Shockwave? Is that what it is? Shockwave? <laughs> it was Shockwave Flash back then, yes. Yeah, Shockwave Flash uh, uh, animations that are about as monstrously huge as anything can be on the Internet and all, are also uh, delightful, charming, and hilarious. They've been doing this since the mid to late 1990s b- practically – um, in the middle is Jeff Olson. Um, he works for uh, Cartoon Network's Adult Swim, which I don't know how many people, just by a quick show of hands that won't show up on the podcast, how many people are familiar with Adult Swim? So it's most. It's a, it's a cartoon. It's a block of both cartoon and live-action programming on Cartoon Network that um, in my demographic, which is to say uh, – um, you know, post-adolescent comedy nerds is the center of the universe. Um, he's the creative director for AdultSwim.com, which is, I think, uh, a really wonderful combination of uh, a venue for the content they produce for television and uh, a wonderful place to have all kinds of other stuff. Um, and Merlin Mann sitting beside me um, uh, really hates to be called a productivity guru, um, also hates the word branding that I put in the name of this session. Um, he's an Internet super celebrity. Uh, he created the website 43folders.com, which is um, one of the more popular weblogs in the world uh, of any kind um, and is uh, a really wonderful guide to doing your most productive creative work. Finding the time and attention to do your creative work, I believe, is, is the log line he's using these days. He's also a really wonderful uh, content creator himself, both uh, on his uh, personal blog, which is a really fantastic links blog and also a very popular links blog, and um, doing uh, video and audio projects um, uh, that are largely comic in nature, including the podcast You Look Nice Today, which is um, one of my absolute favorite uh, podcasts of any kind and is also a monstrously popular uh, comedy podcast, um, not least because of Merlin. So we're very lucky to have this awesome um, group of people here. I wanted to start with you guys, uh, brothers chaps. Um, do I pronounce it now? It's spelled B-R-O-S dot. Is it, should I pronounce it out loud, brothers chaps, or bro, bros chaps? Bros chaps. But yeah, the brass chaps. Okay, <laughs> like bros chaps. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, bras, uh, bras chaps, um, <laughs> what led you, when, when you sort of came up with this set of characters in 1996 or 7 or whatever it was, what made you think that the internet was the venue for it? When, the char- when you came up with the characters, that wasn't the initial idea. I think I maybe knew what it was, but I always asked my older brother what CompuServe which at the time was like, what's CompuServe? Oh, we had what's Prodigy accounts. Yeah, we did have Prodigy accounts. <laughs> you were getting emails at one two six nine four two 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 four five five. So initially, the um, output was Kinko's Xerox copies, and it was in 1999 when we discovered Flash that we took those characters and put them. Did you have Did you have the idea that you were that you were going to do something on broadcast, or or was or was the web always going to be the home of it? Initially. 
we it was when everything flash was a vehicle to get to broadcast like right when flash 4 came out which was the version that kind of opened it up like it had true animation and tweening and all that stuff and so i think actually because flash 3 didn't even have sound i think i think that was the big thing and so that was kind of the, what we thought at first was like oh we'll make cartoons with this thing with these characters and then hopefully we'll get you know we'll get a cartoon on cartoon network or whatever and because uh, we were both just out of college and didn't want to get, you know, regular jobs. And um, But then after kind of just sort of having a brush with trying to do that, we were having such a great time doing it like that and getting noticed and getting Shockwave side of the day, which was a very prestigious award back in those days. And, uh, and Did you so, ever get the sunglasses from Yahoo? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we got what was the thing? It was a funny. They did some funny thing. So it was the sunglass. It was a schnoz instead oh. of the sunglasses. We didn't post it on the website, though. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that was when very early on we were like, this is fun. We can probably do this. Uh, and, and at that time it was totally labor of love. I mean, we were just like, let's just have, uh, crappy jobs and do this for fun. And then it was, you know, a few years in that we were selling enough t-shirts and crap to be able to just do it full time. I'm going to play a little bit of, uh, one of your, one of your pieces. Now, when, when I emailed you guys, um, you mentioned this piece to me. Oh, we, we did a thing that had some public radio stuff in it one time. And um, you were explaining it to me as though I, I didn't know about it. But uh, when I was in college in 2002 or whatever the year was that I was in college, yeah, 2002 roughly, I think like given my uh, association with college and public radio at the time, I think 25 people I knew sent me... <laughs> This little video, this, this stars uh, one of your iconic characters, Strong Bad, who in these videos answers emails from viewers. This is the loading screen. I got miles and miles of the email style. Miles and miles of the email style. Dear Strong Bad, my friends are radio hosts. Any chance you could give them any pointers on what they can say slash do on their show? Bowing to you, Fraser, Scotland. Oh, no need to bow, Fraser. Get, get up. Rise, my son. And give it me instead 750 with which to buy some buffalo chicken tenders. So your friends are radio show hosts, huh? Well, the first rule of thumb for all radio personalities is to look absolutely nothing like how they sound. Take old Greystoke, for instance. Now, here's a whiny know-it-all who sounds just like he looks. Why, thank you, Senator. Quit calling me that. Anyway, if Strongside was a radio host, he sounded like this. Hey, hey, it's Fidelity Valor. Coming at you on number 902, WA3DFM, the Sturge. Coming up next, we got some hot new tracks from Jubilee, baby. <laughs> Don't you ever make me do that again. So once they got the voice appearance mismatch working, then it all just depends on what kind of radio station they work for. Listen and loin as I run my test sentence through the various genres. Strong Bad's test sentence is the fish was delish and it made quite a dish. First up is public radio. Smooth and smarmy. Today on Capitol Hill, the fish was delish and according to UN Secretary Council members, it made quite a dish. You're listening to member supported public radio. Dang old public radio. I never got my tote bag. Next up is the drive time more. So we have to cut it off somewhere, but there's a little sample of the work that you did. What was the first what was the first signal that you guys got that this that this enterprise was going to work? Was there a particular video that took off or a particular moment that you thought, "Oh, this could actually be something that we do for a living?" 
Uh, yeah, we didn't think that. Yeah, we never really <laughs> thought Still, that. I can't believe that. Um, but there was definitely, I think, around when we were getting like pointed to from these shockwave side of the days and things like that, it was actually our father who was helping us out with the business side. He was a retired accountant uh, that was the one that was like, he was actually encouraging us to quit our jobs and being like, if you guys did this and sold, it was what, if we sold 25 t-shirts a month and <laughs> and got a couple of different freelance jobs, then we could probably quit our jobs. I worked at, uh, at MindSpring slash Earthlink at the time. And uh, so that was very enticing. But um, but it was great to have a dad that was actually encouraging that. And so it was, I mean, when the the one that when we finally were like, all right, we can probably continue doing this for a while, uh, was with this email called Trogdor that came out that was just had this this or the email's called Dragon, but Strongbed draws this dragon and there's a heavy metal song at the end, and we thought it was pretty good. It was funny. We thought it was maybe sort of the lower rung of our funniest stuff we'd ever done, and it just it was the thing that we just immediately got like a deluge of just responses and seeing it linked everywhere and whatever and then we made a t-shirt of it and that was it's still the best-selling thing we've ever made and still continues to always be the best-selling thing and it's just this crappy drawn dragon and so i think that was when we were just like we don't know what the hell we did but i guess we can probably keep doing this did now. you get reactions to your stuff that suggested that people had a relationship with what you were doing besides just the relationship that they had with you know, something that they watched on TV or something that just happened to pass through their lives? Absolutely. Yeah, there was, a, from from very early on, because and we, we don't do any advertising on the website, and we never, and we don't advertise it either anywhere else. Like, we, it was all strictly word of mouth, and because of that, I think it had this kind of, like, underground feel. So, like, when you found it, especially after a year or two, we had, you know, dozens of cartoons on it. So there was, like, it was kind of finding this, if you were into it, you found this gold mine of, like, oh, wow, there's a bunch of these. And I think, yeah, definitely immediately, like, which also at the same time makes people very sort of fickle, where it's, like, they make it their own, and so you have to, you know, Sometimes you're going to piss that person off, and it's like, oh, it's not mine anymore because you did this joke that I don't like. But, uh, but yeah, that was always very cool. Like it, it felt like immediately it became – people would find it, and it felt like the secret thing, so they wanted to pass it on to just their close friends and stuff. Jeff, you do something that is um, kind of similar in interesting ways, but also different in interesting ways from what the brothers chaps are doing. You have a, so you're working with a similar demographic, but you've come to it from uh, a wing of this – multi-quajillion-dollar, um, uh, uh, you know, entertainment and bison enterprise, which is, um, which is Turner Broadcasting. Um, w- you also have you also have um, uh, television creative credits. So you you co-created a, a, an adult uh, an Adult Swim series. Um, w- how did you end up on the website of Adult Swim? Uh, the show ended, basically, and Mike Laza, who, who runs uh, Adult Swim, said, uh, you're going to do this. You're going to run the website. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to make another show. And he said, no, seriously, you're going to run the website. And um, I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to make another show. <laughs> and this, this took about three months, um, but I'll condense it into the uh, final conversation, in which he said, you're going to run the website. And I said, okay, I guess I'm going to run the website. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Am I just not close? Yeah, I think that one just you just have to eat it. Um, so, tell me when after you had acclimated to the prospect of making a website instead of a show, um, what were the principles that were guiding you in building this thing? 
It seems like the this first the first level of it is well, it's a place to put all this content we have on the internet so people can access it. But what were the ideas that were beyond that? Beyond that, I think you know um, a big thing for us was imagining we weren't part of a broadcast network, but we wanted to kind of serve the the same or similar audience um, in a way that felt true to what Adult Swim was. And so a big thing for us. Um, was gaming, you know. I mean, that that's what works online. It's it's um, really viral. It's really interactive. It keeps people around for a long time. And um, Adult Swim was doing games based on shows, and we just made a decision that games based on shows weren't interesting. You know, I had the ET Atari 2600 <laughs> experience that five million other children have. It's just they they tend to suck, you know, and and we. <laughs> We just didn't want to suck, and so we're like, if we were just making great games and we didn't have any of these shows, what would we make? So we made games like Five Minutes to Kill Yourself and Bible Fight and um, <laughs> My Little Bastard is our newest one that's doing really well right now. I was just um, playing that one. In this game, it's sort of like having a Tomogachi or personal pet, only it also makes a lot of urine and feces. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that, that was, it was really key for us to just... Um, Think about not being a brand extension because we just don't think that's that's interesting. You know, you wouldn't in the early days of radio they wouldn't take a TV station like, well, we'll do a brand extension of the radio. We'll put the the radio program up here and do a little behind the scenes video with our radio personalities. It's like, no, this is a completely different. The fact that it's interactive, it's a completely different beast, and and so you should just think about um, how to serve the same goals but with, I think, open yourself up to totally different types of content. I, I want to talk a little bit about what y your goals are and your guiding principles, but I thought since this is a super classy um, public media uh, conference, I would introduce um, Oscar nominee John C. Riley here on AdultSwim.com. This is actually a segment from one of the Adult Swim broadcast series, one of my favorites called um, Tim and Eric Awesome Show, Great Job. Um, that's the name of the show. And um, this is John C. Riley as uh, a character, a recurring character he plays on the series named Steve Brule. Hi, Mr. Steve Brule. Have you ever had to be in a fight? I've been in a ton of fights. That's why I figured out how to stay the heck out of a fight. I developed a technique, which I call the last resort. Now I'm going to figure out how to teach you the three techniques that make my system the most effective. Okay, let's get started. I'm going to bring out my system. first technique I'm going to break down for you is called killing with kindness. This is my buddy. Denny. You're a dirtbag, mugger guy. You're going to come and I'm going to keep you off of my case, man. No, no. Stay the heck. Oh, wait. That hey, where'd you get that jumpsuit? See? Totally confuse him. It's, it's, it's nice. Well, nice. Make a friend. Last resort! You see that? I, 
think that gives us some idea. How, how did you describe what it is that you do, what you are doing? What is your, to say it in a, in a uh, jerk manner, the brand proposition? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people use the word brand um, except around Adult Swim. It's like everybody <laughs> just, Lazo just, you can see him get angry when people talk about the Adult Swim brand. You know, I think a lot of what we do is the opposite of, of what people try and do in terms of branding of we're going to be consistent, we're going to do, you know, we're going to look the same way in all these different places. I mean, you won't see the Adult Swim logo hardly on our site at all. Um, I think the analogy you gave me once is like entertainment is like this. You're driving down a highway. It's 70, 80 miles an hour because we're just surrounded by it now. And it's like these billboards coming past you, these, and you want to be the, the deer that jumps out in the middle of the highway. Like that's what it takes to be um, noticed is to kind of do something unexpected, you know, and, and what it takes to be funny is to be unexpected. As soon as it's expected, it's not funny. So I think branding and consistency weirdly can um, fight um, what it takes to provide great entertainment. You, your, your site also has um, very active forums. I've even posted it on a little bit. Um, does having a, does having a, a plan to be inconsistent uh, make for a really crazy and difficult to figure out and manage community? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, anytime you open yourself up to community, you're going to get a lot of a lot of crazy people uh, coming through the door and you know trying to. Um, Kind of mess with the with the engine and, and bring the boards down and um, so there's a lot that goes on um, yeah in terms of management uh, anytime you open yourself up to users it, it's more difficult to manage um, but a lot of it's healthy a lot of it's them telling us um, how much we suck and then the guys who do the bumps that you see will take those and um, put the those on TV. The bumps are the interstitial graphics on the... On the uh, right, right. So it's a great way to take a negative of, hey, Adult Swim, here's why you suck. And instead of trying to bury that, we'll take that and we'll put it in front of, you know, a million and a half people watching Family Guy. And now all of a sudden this guy who um, hates you is feels famous and loved, you know. So it's not trying to control the discussion. If anything, it's... Uh, it's like the signature at the bottom of your email, you know, with the guy telling you how much you suck. Like it's. Yeah. Um, I put. I, I had this feeling like, oh, I got this really amazing thing in Esquire. I should put that at the bottom of my email so when I email a publicist, they think I'm legitimate. But then I kind of felt sort of like a jerk for putting that on there. So I, I got this other really amazing email from this guy who said, if I'm remembering correctly from looking at my own emails, maximum fun, try maximum bore. This is the dullest show on radio. So I just put that one right underneath the Esquire one. Um, Merlin, I, would, I don't know what that look means, Jeff. Oh, I <laughs> Merlin, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you've done. Um, why did you start 43 Folders? Uh, it just originally started as a, kind of a side project from the D minus web development work that I was doing. And it was just kind of a, a place to kind of publicly capture a lot of ideas about things that I was interested in. And uh, with zero intention of it appealing to too much people, uh, too many people beyond a very tight group of friends. 
How how did it how did it start to appeal to people? How did it what, what was it like for you? It was weird. I mean, it was part of it was good, just really really good timing. This was in uh, September of two thousand four, and there was kind of this emerging uh, zeitgeist of what you could call knowledge workers, kind of struggling with feeling overwhelmed by information. And there was kind of this emerging idea of what uh, Danny O'Brien has called life hacks. Uh, yeah, I know, I'm sick of it too. Uh, but but uh, it was something where at the time, I think it was just something where a lot of people were starting to realize that they weren't the only one who felt overwhelmed by this stuff. So I was just kind of in some ways standing in the right line at the right time. But I don't know, the thing that I thought was really interesting in retrospect, and again, part of this problem of managing expectations that everybody's talking about, is that the story that you want to tell about what you're doing changes as you change, but there's always going to be people who still want you to do that one thing that one way. And like Fonzie should wear this jacket and not that jacket. So it's been weird to like all as all of this stuff evolves and I figure out what this thing is that I do. It's it's been I don't know. It's an interesting trip that I think a lot of you are going to go through as well as you figure this stuff out. I, I want to ask you about that changing, and we'll talk about some of the other things that you do besides 43 folders in a second. But um, you put 43 folders, which again was was one of the more popular blogs in the world through a, a big change um, about, what, six, six months or so ago now. Tell me what that change was and, and why you did it. Uh, well, the site from 2004 through part of last year, I, it's hard to say exactly when, had been a site about what you might call personal productivity. Some people say it's a site about this book getting things done. Other people think it's a site about Mac stuff, when, you know, which, of course, is this is all kind of a red herring. It's about whatever I'm obsessed with that day. Uh, and I hopefully never said it was much more than that, but um, as I, my ideas about this stuff evolved, I started to realize, I don't know if this is too inside baseball, but I started to realize that um, I was trying to solve the wrong problem with what I was doing, and then instead of trying to tell people uh, what kind of notebook to buy and how to tag their to-do list, uh, it should really about, all the productivity stuff should be about clearing off your desk to create large blocks of time to create things that you're genuinely happy with, whether that's an Excel spreadsheet or a sculpture or a you know, musical about Billy Joel, whatever it is, all that stuff should serve a much larger idea where priorities don't have to be created. They just present themselves and it's clear. And so I felt like I was kind of like, I didn't want to keep contributing to this really obnoxious, to be honest, really obnoxious social media trend of, you know, 14 new ways to download Firefox extensions, you know, which is like a guaranteed traffic driver and a great way to treat your audience like a dumbass. And so I really wanted to instead treat people, treat people like adults and assume that they wanted to do something amazing and just needed roadblocks removed. No, and it was it was hard. <laughs> yeah, that's what I yeah. that's what I was about to ask you about because you know when you're writing a blog, one of the things that people are going to you for is a lot of new content. And one of the things you did was change the format of your site so that rather than generating a lot of 14 new ways to download Firefox extensions. Uh, you know, the three best colors to buy your uh, moleskin notebook or your space pen in, um, you decided to focus on building longer articles that were actually about more. Um, was that scary for you to do, to, to basically be offering something that wasn't, that maybe was more reflective of what your site was about, but wasn't the easy traffic builder? Yeah, it's uh, it's still insanely scary on every level. Um, but the thing about personal publishing in general is, uh, 
if you watch personal publishing long enough, and personal publishing is not really so different from public media, if you really think about it. It's passionate people making something that they hope makes a connection with a niche audience. Uh, you can sometimes tell when somebody doesn't really care about what they're doing. It's reflected in the work. And if you're really more trying to trace the shadows of success rather than generate something you're really enthusiastic about, you're a charlatan. And so, but it meant enough to me, and I know that sounds like douchey, but I, I believe that. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to keep making stuff that I thought was damaging and polluting. And so now a lot of what I write about, to be candid, even though it seems hypocritical, I don't really care. But now I'm kind of actually addressing this stuff of saying, hey, you know, some of that stuff I talked about was kind of dumb. Um, but I think anybody who puts this stuff out has to start not by saying, how do I, how do I manage an image of myself, but how do I hew to an idea of who I want to be as a person or a station or whatever that doesn't require a huge amount of maintenance and thought about branding. If you push out product that's awesome, you don't need to sweat your brand. Because if you put out great work, it says a lot more about who you are than a press release. I, um, we're getting this, this really wonderful display here of Ernest um, Merlin. Uh, when he says putting out uh, work that is an awesome and an honest uh, representation of himself, I know Merlin personally, and one of my favorite honest representations of Merlin is uh, his podcast, You Look Nice Today, which is a bizarre and surreal uh, uh, podcast of three people often pitching fictitious business ideas to each other, um, mocking Internet culture, but in a completely unwinking and surreal way. Uh, this is a video that they made together that was uh, commissioned by the uh, little operation you may have heard of called the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, um, in which, I, and I'm only playing a, a little bit of Merlin's portion of this, but in which they played uh, Foley operators uh, uh, comment, commenting on the Foley operators of the era of silent film. So the, the, it was commissioned for a silent film project, and so they, they here portray Foley operators. And I won't lie, he's very sharp, but he's very unorthodox. Ah, family leaving the museum. Uh, someone forgetting to mail a letter. Quiet evening at home. Imbecile! White bread, white bread. Oh, God. I think we're ready. My, my, my background is in movement. Uh, I'm very comfortable in my skin. I can move through very, very small areas without any kind of uh, uh, salve. Lanolin was passed over for Weekend of Bernie's 2. Found this Bernie's dog. To um, turn, that, turn that film into a sort of poetry. Okay. This is why you woke me up. So I have three job interviews in the morning, and I have to go back to I have no recollection of anything happening. I don't know who Bernie is, and I don't know why he had a weekend and why it happened twice. But I have no recollection of that. Um, I had a lot of lower back pain at the time. It strained our relationship, I won't lie. He seems uh, like a, a perfectly fine man, but I, I can't recall ever meeting him before. He may... So that's a little taste of uh, Merlin, the uh, the funny guy. Um, Merlin, at the same time that you were doing this 43 folders, you had site, a site like Fives, which was lists of five things. It was a, a comic site. You were doing a video series called uh, That Phone Guy that was um, you portraying that guy who talks on his phone in, in really inappropriate contexts. 
Um, Except his phone's a wallet. Yeah, yes. Also, his talking into a wallet as though it were a phone. Um, you were doing all these other things that were very unguru-like. Um, why did you do all this other stuff? I don't know. I mean, I, I think of it. The other question is like, why are people not doing other stuff? You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, the internet's a place where you can try stuff out and. Sometimes for a while you can do it in a way that almost nobody notices. Sometimes that bugs people a lot that it's not immediately noticed. But you have time to figure out what something is and iterate it. I mean, and for example, like one thing I hear these folks saying that I like a lot is this idea of agility. Um, one thing that uh, Jeff didn't mention is when they do those, what do you call them, bumpers, things? The bumps. bumps yeah, the bumps. The bumps we call them in the industry. It's like they can respond. Their agility to create a new one of those bumps in like a day or so is hilarious. So you used to see a product on broadcast TV that was done, you know, people had different haircuts and beards at the time these were shot. These guys are pushing stuff out. And the same way South Park can do this stuff. There's so much agility, you know, and I, you guys can, you know, put up a strong bad email about whatever you want, you know, in a short period of time. So, I mean, part of it is I think in all of this stuff is figuring out, do I have the agility? Am I going to try and turn an entire steamboat? which for me would be 43 folders. For you, that might be your largest property that you own. Or am I going to look at these other things I might do that I think might be awesome that are, I'm going to incubate for a while that I can work on a little bit and change? Does that make any sense and change quickly? Rather than going, oh, I'm going to act like I'm building a bridge and try to plan this thing out to the nth degree, and if it doesn't work, it'll all fall apart. I think there's room for lots of tiny projects that you don't highlight until you're ready to. And that's what all those things are, I think. Um, I, I want to ask uh, the three of... You guys, um, when you connect with uh, your consumers, the people in your community, your viewers, your listeners, whatever the um, medium is, do you get a feeling about what it is that connects for them? Is there something in, in what you do that, like, that you hear again and again, like, this is why I care about this thing? I think we always heard that... Um like the style of humor we were doing it was like, oh, my friends and I do that. It was like a sort of more inside jokey, but not that it was about something specific. It was just a style that, especially early on in 2000, before there was a lot of internet video, that it was just a sort of a different style of humor than what was on broadcast TV, and Adult Swim certainly is doing that now, um, where it felt more personal. It didn't feel like seven writers had written it six months before. It felt like, oh, this is something I, somebody I know did the night before. Matt, did you have something to add to that? You're leaning into the microphone. I can't tell whether you're... I'm so excited to say something. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's fun. Mike says that and at the same... You'd hear that, and it would be like, oh, that you know, me and my friends just sit around, you know, having a beer or, or whatever, and it's like, and you know, it's like what you guys are doing, and that would be like a awesome and kind of like, well, we also, we like don't sleep, and our wives get mad at us because that took a long time to do, and so it was that hard thing where it was just like, I'm glad it has that feel because you dig it for that, but at the same time, you'd be like, but I also work really hard, and I'm very dedicated to it, and I'm not just like farting and putting it on the internet, and so it's a hard line to draw where it's just like, you know, you're, you're, you're saying like, I don't know, it, it, it becomes this thing where you can kind of be like, oh, that guy just like kind of like, oh, he comes up with this thing and he puts it on the website in five minutes. And so it's kind of a, that's a hard line to walk where you like don't want to be feel like you're being belittled or, or like where it's like, you know, a personal uh, whatever slight to you. you. You have such a passionate fan base at Adult Swim, Jeff. Not you personally. There's not a passionate Jeff fan base. But Adult Swim has, I, I mean, the commitment that people who like Adult Swim have to that 
to that idea is so enormous that it's like, you know, the commitment that people have to public radio, for example. Um, do you hear from Do you hear from people about what they like about Adult Swim? Oh yeah, I mean, we probably have, I mean, hundreds of thousands of postings every month on our boards. That's, you know, one of the biggest drivers of page views for us is people telling us exactly what they think uh, we do well and more often poorly. Um, so, yeah, and, and in the past, you know, for us personally, it's about people talk about the shows and that's, you know, the creators are obviously a lot of them involved in the boards and, and listening. And I, th I think it's very helpful for them to hear exactly what it is that people hate and then change that, especially on TV. You can't, it's, it's not a movie theater where you can drop in and sit in the audience and, and notice when everybody laughs. So it's much harder to um, get that direct feedback and, and hear what the audience is doing except, or thinking except on the internet. I want to ask you guys. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to add something that Merlin said earlier that, that's funny, that's, and I don't mean this as an opposition to what you said, but the other side where, like, Mike and I noticed that in the same sort of when we'd look at comments from uh, cartoons and stuff like that, that every week that we would make a new cartoon, it was the best cartoon we'd ever made and it was the worst shit we'd ever made. Like, it was, I mean, every week without fail, it was, it was somebody's high and somebody's low. And so that, to us, that made us stop, not stop listening. We still read it, we still whatever, but be like, we, there's no reason to take this to heart. We should, what we should concentrate on doing is just doing what we like and make it awesome. And they'll still, it'll going to be a high and low every time. And I mean, and obviously, like, you know, the way our thing works is totally different from Adult Swim. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's going to filter down and, a lot differently, but it's... No, no, and, and for Adult Swim, I mean, it's true to a degree of every new show is the worst show that we've ever made, <laughs> and then it goes on for six months, and then it kind of evens out, and then as soon as it gets canceled, the worst show that we ever made <laughs> is the best show that was ever made, and the executives are a bunch of idiots, so... <laughs> It's also, I think, um, I hear a lot of folks here talking about how they're going to handle things like what they're calling community and conversations and stuff like that. And you know, the thing I would say, and I'm curious to hear if you guys, and Jesse, Jesse has a very popular rabbit forum for his stuff. Uh, but I guess I have, my feeling on this that took a long time to evolve is that you have to create, first of all, creating community is not as simple as turning on comments. I could, I could, if you walk away with a single thing today, understand that. That is not a community. That's a public toilet. If you just give people an opportunity to dive bob in and say one thing and go away, it's not a conversation. It's scrawl. When you turn on comments, when you encourage community, when you encourage any of that, you also take on a responsibility to manage a certain expectation, I think. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Because for me, I've turned off comments on a lot of stuff where I didn't have the time to participate. Because I think any time you turn on a community aspect, it not only needs moderation of some kind, but you are obligated to listen, respond, and then show how that input had an effect on what you do. And if you don't do that, I think it's very cynical. So I think whatever you decide to do, just having an expectation where both sides agree about what it's for, do you guys have any feeling about that? Well, with us, I mean, we, like I said, we, we had a, dabbled with forums briefly, and then we're just like, uh, it was a more a technical thing than it was like a community thing. But the other thing was that the fans had already made them. There were already like fan sites and stuff, and those were way cooler and had their own identity and like in jokes, like their signatures would be like some joke we didn't make, but with one of our characters. And it was just like, wow, they have their own weird in jokes on the forum. So we let that go by itself. And then for us, it was, you know, we have these strong bad email things where those are all real emails uh, from fans. And so that was kind of our thing where it was like, yes, it's one, and, you know, we don't do them every week 
speak, but it's like just one person gets it up there. But the fact that that is available and like with Jeff, the this the like the bumps that you do in between shows, where it's just like probably 75% of the comments are hoping they're going to, especially the negative ones, are hoping they're going to get put in one of those things. And so that that right there is like helps to do it where it's like, no, we listen, and sometimes we do this really awesome thing with what we heard. Uh, and so there's that chance that that might happen to you. I don't know if that answer addressed what you're saying, Merlin, at all. How do you engage your community, Jeff? What, what's the what's the level of interplay above and beyond just uh, occasionally putting one on TV? I think, it, I think it totally depends upon the show and the show creator. I think some show creators are really active in the message boards and like to be uh, feel like they have a community, and those are the shows that the, the folders that tend to be most active. Others of them have probably never even visited. Um, you know, for us with the games or the site, I mean, we're we're in there constantly, and so when people report a bug in the game, you know, our games producer is replying back saying, what was your browser, you know, what version of Flash are, are you using? We're looking at that right now. And um, one, thing that, one thing that I uh, really liked about what you were talking about, Jeff, and, and speaks partly to what you were talking about about my site, Merlin, is that, um, you know, when I created The Sound of Young America, it was with a very specific, and for folks who don't know, it's a public radio interview show distributed by PRI, and it's sort of... Um, the guests are tend to be younger and uh, or cooler, I should say, not necessarily younger. A lot of um, older folks, and and uh, often funnier or more fun than a lot of public radio guests. I create it with a very particular idea of what I thought was missing and like what I really cared about, and that idea extends to like a particular kind of person. Like I definitely think there are people who think of themselves in this way and feel like, oh gosh, I have the like intellectual curiosity of a public radio listener, um, but I'm also interested in things that make me laugh. Um, and that I think has been the driving force of my community is that there is this personal identity that is reflected in my, you know, my brand. You know, that all these things that I'm making, even though they're pretty heterogeneous, what they all have is that same quality of like it's, um, you know, it's fun, but it's smart. And I participate actively in my forums, which I think is the reason that people post on my forums, frankly. Um, and it's also the reason that people aren't typically a dick to me on my forums, because if you're, people tend, as Merlin just described, the people who tend to have the harshest negative comments or the most community destructive activities are people who can dive bomb in, which is to say, come in, post something, and leave, which is often the case in, say, a blog comment or, or something like that, especially an anonymous blog comment. And if you're joining a community of people who have a certain set of expectations and your your in the community actively, so you're essentially standing there. It's more like coming up to a group of people and saying to them something really mean, which would be, which is very hard to do, socially speaking. And it's similarly very hard to do on the internet. You really have to be really, you know, pissed about something, or just really a dick to do that kind of thing. You, you go ahead, Merlin. I was just gonna say <clears throat> quickly that um, that. The, the the thing part of this also is you heard you guys have you guys heard the term the the mullet the mullet site well you know what a mullet is where it's you know they say uh, you know business in the front and party in the back the mullet approach to to doing social media for some people is to have this front office that's very beautiful which is the blog post or the piece of uh, atomic content and then there'll be a link to the comments page that's inside or it'll be a link to a forum do you, do you know what I'm talking about so there's there's this part that I think is really interesting to think about which is why are the comments there? 
What, what, why, why are they there? Are, and like, I'm not saying that you have to agree with me about whether they should be there or not, but you should really know why they're there and what you're going to change as a result of what people say. That's all I'm trying to say. And, and the reason I mention it is because uh, if you encourage community and, and social media around what you do, you need to be prepared for the day that it goes in a direction you never expected and becomes wildly successful in a way that you're completely unprepared for, and your PR people are going to have a stroke when they see all the at responses on Twitter of people giving a very unvarnished public opinion that you asked for. So all I would say is, I don't have an answer for that, but I would say know where you stand on that and understand that at a certain point on the web, you give away a lot of control when you accept somebody else carrying your freight. So you need to really understand what success looks like for that stuff or you're going to have a, a giant size confusion. I, I want to ask you guys, we're, we're, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you guys really quickly. A lot of public media people are uh, scared because... Uh, of revenue issues, and, and not just because of the economy, but because the current revenue structure for public media, which usually involves, you know, sort of member organizations and people and stations collecting the money and then paying dues to content distributors or content creators, is, um, you know, I would say in danger of breaking down, but basically like, you know, five years from being broken. Um, and so people are freaking out, like, oh, great, we can put stuff on the Internet, and that's great, but how are we going to generate some income? And all of you guys have created very different um, economic models for what probably sounds like, in terms of how you're thinking about creating your content, something that's very similar. So, um, like, for, for example, you guys, Brothers Chaps, you've never had advertising on your site. Um, as you said, why did you why did you choose never to have advertising? And also, how do you eat? Um, we, I mean, it started back in whatever ninety nine and two thousand when banner ads and pop up ads were really annoying. And nowadays, I think people don't care as much about them. But we didn't want them on our site. We wanted you go to our site and you're there and nowhere else. We didn't have links, and um, so we just sell T-shirts, merchandise, and you know, again, we did it out of our own pocket for two and a half years, and then we eventually sold enough shirts, but. Um, it certainly is scary to give away. We give away our content for free in hope that you buy a T-shirt. You know, one in whatever, 500, one in 1,000 people buy a T-shirt. And luckily, we keep our whole operation small enough, two or three or, you know, people at the most, to where, you know, our scale is a little bit different than a lot of these other things where, you, you know, a public radio station can't. We don't have to worry about what our PR people will think, <laughs> right. which is good. Merlin, you you have obviously you're running sites on you're running advertisements on 43 folder and and I'm sure making some good money from that. But you also have these other ventures, like for example, you look nice today, which has you know significantly more um, listeners than the podcast of the Sound of Young America, which I'm very happy with my listenership, um, but does not have any sponsorship messages on it. Um, how, how have you thought about where the money is going to come in and what you're doing? I really struggled with it for a long time and continue to try different things that I hope aren't too offensive. And I'm always trying to find the right balance of it's uh, not going to annoy the people who are doing enjoying it, hopefully. I but should mention that Merlin's appearance on this conference panel is sponsored by Power Bar. That's right. Power Bar for when you want power. In, bar In a form. bar form. That, that's trademark, just so you know. Uh, 
Uh, no, all I was going to say was that uh, it's hard. It's hard to figure out. But like the most giant problem that you can make, the biggest pattern I think to avoid in general is to not be open to doing stuff that you don't think you do right now. In other words, I think one of the part of the, for myself, and I, I don't know if this is just too up in the trees, but I think one of the problems facing every media company right now is they keep wishing things were different than how they are. They want it to be Atlantic Records in 1973 and Led Zeppelin pulls up with a giant briefcase full of money. And if we just sue enough people and wait long enough, people will buy records again. And instead of saying, what are the opportunities around this brilliant content we have and how open is our heart to the fact that the audience will tell us how we can make money if we listen closely enough. And bottom line for me is stop insisting that revenue be associated with where you think it needs to be associated with and be prepared for an ancillary revenue stream that's nowhere near what you ever expected. And that means reinventing yourself, which with our level of what we're doing, I think even, really all of us, we can do that. I, I don't know how easily you do that in one or five years with a public media property, but you need to almost have like a mind map in your head of all the things that this could turn into, develop all those relationships in an organic way, but then be prepared to go, we're not going to make money on this in this one way anymore. And that's just how it is. Jeff, you work for a, a huge broadcasting company that for the length of its uh, operations has made its money by selling 30 and 60 second advertisements next to television content. Um, and I know you work on the creative side of on the creative side of adultswim.com, but tell me, um, how do you think about this uh, challenge of, of finding the ways to um, to have revenue online? Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of people struggle with. Um, I don't know that you can make a lot of money unless you're Google by aggregating an audience and selling advertising online. I just I'm not aware of anybody who's really raking it in. Um, but you know every network has to have a website. You can cover your costs, or you know at least we can. Um, and then beyond that, just if you're if you focus at being good, I think it's kind of what Merlin was saying earlier. Opportunities will come along that you never thought would present themselves. So two years ago, we started making flash games, and we wanted to make them better than anybody else was doing it. We thought there was an opportunity there, and then. Um, whatever it was, six months ago, the, the iPhone application store opens. And we're like, oh, my God, we have all of these great little casual games, and people are actually paying, instead of you know getting paid two cents when they play a game, you're getting paid 99 cents or you're getting paid 4.99 was the first game that we released. Um, and, oh, my God, here's a business that we never thought would have existed, but just by being good, we were in a place to exploit it when it suddenly emerged. And and in terms of in terms of my own perspective as a public, specifically a public media creator, um, you know, I think that this is a chance to see a, an opportunity here because many of the limitations uh, that are being placed on people who are operating for profit for profit content operations are um, ones that we have in place by the structure of what we do, which is to say that, you know, maybe advertising uh, isn't that great of a way to make money, especially if it seems uh, annoying or unpleasant or doesn't resonate with what you're making. And maybe your first responsibility should be to the content that you make in your brand and serving the public rather than uh, to advertisers, which, of course, is what we already do. And I, I think that if, for those of us in, in public media, we can see this as 
an opportunity because we can do almost all of the things that these people, uh, that folks who do uh, uh, for-profit content creation uh, can do, only we're already on board with a lot of these ideas that uh, you've heard these folks on stage talk about, and plus we can totally get grants, which is sweet. Um, we're we're um, just about out of time, but I, I wanted to see if there were, if there were uh, uh, one or two questions we could take from the audience here while we're while we're standing here. Anybody? Anything? Yes, ma'am. Sue. Uh, Sue wants Merlin to be a little bit more specific about how he makes some money. Well, I mean, you know, like anybody does, I guess I put things out there and sometimes people pay for it. I'll give you one example, though, that I think is a good example. Uh, I I did a talk at Google in July of 2007. Uh, I was not compensated for the talk. I showed up with my computer. I did a presentation uh, on email called Inbox Zero. And at the point when they stopped running stats on view count, on Google Video, it had been seen almost 400,000 times. Uh, I did not make a nickel off of that. But it started a whole new career for me of people hiring me to come and talk to their employees about how to fix these problems of attention and time management. Uh, If I had sat around and gone, you got to pay a nickel to watch me talk about email, there would have been a couple hundred people who watched it. But you have to have a certain tolerance for ambiguity in trusting that the content is good enough that other streams will open up. I don't know how much flexibility you guys have, but what I'm trying to say is that's one way. I did not start a blog in 2004 thinking people would be flying me places to have me talk. And I think that's that's what more specific examples. There's a million things you could do. You could do Amazon stores. You could do uh, you could do affiliate crap. You could do you could sell links. There's a lot of like good, bad, and completely garbage ways to make money that people are going to tell you to do. You need to do what you think is right and not do anything. Don't worry about your brand. Worry about like ruining your content and like pissing off smart people. That's your concern because nobody's going to care about your content if they come there and think you don't respect them or treat them like a smart person. And the good news is because we work in public media, from time to time, uh, we work for an organization or a funder that can say, um, you know, hey, how about you work on this for a while because it's a good thing and has a public service rather than because there's revenue. And then you can discover where the revenue is uh, along there. I see some people packing up their bags, so I'm going to wrap things up. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for um, uh, coming. And I just, uh, the Brothers Chaps, you can check out their work online at, at homestarrunner.com. Um, you can check out Jeff, of course, at adultswim.com. And, and Merlin, you can check out the various tentacles of his empire by starting at Merlin Man with uh, two N's dot com. And, and thank you guys so much for coming. It was a, it was a pleasure. And I, I want to extend my, my special thanks uh, to uh, Keith Hopper from uh, Public Interactive who uh, put this whole thing together, was standing behind me the whole way, et cetera, et cetera, and, and Todd Munn who ran this track and, and invited us and, and everybody for having me as well. So th- thanks so much. I'd really like to thank Todd Munt from Louisville Public Media who organized the track that our presentation was on and especially would like to thank Keith Hopper from National Public Radio and Public Interactive for helping me to organize this event. I absolutely could not have done it without him and uh, I was really proud of what resulted. So thank you, Keith. Thank you, Todd. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America 
is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.